Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 26, an interview with Dave Brunyak from Pink Talking Fish, Friday, August 7th, 2015. folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, as usual here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Las Gatos, California. It's Paul Kent. And Paul, today we have a special guest. Uh, we'll make it interesting and have two Daves for you to navigate between. Dave Brunyak, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah, man, this is great. So uh, I, I'll, I'll give you a little introduction, Dave. Um, you are, uh, currently, well, in fact, we'll just start there. We'll start with what you do currently, and then we'll sort of back up and, and fill up the history. Currently, you're the guitarist in a, uh, very clever, uh, both in name and in concept tribute band called Pink Talking Fish. And, uh, and actually I'll let you tell the story from there, man. Sure. Um, well, Pink Talking Fish is a hybrid, uh, tribute fusion act. Um, we combine the music of Pink Floyd, uh, Talking Heads and Fish, all woven together and mashed up in interesting ways. Um, I, uh, I was approached by uh, this guy, Eric Gould, who formerly played bass for Particle. Um, and he was moving out to the Northeast and had this concept and uh, approached me at uh, me and um, my, my buddy, Zach Berwick, who plays uh, drums for us currently. We were both in a uh, fish tribute band called The Freaks. And he came to one of our gigs and chatted us up and convinced us to do a few shows. And then we never looked back. Yeah. So I had been following Pink Talking Fish, just mildly aware of them. Um, and it seemed like up until the moment you joined and perhaps even for at least a little while after you joined, their whole concept was they would they, the, the guitarist slot was almost intentionally rotating or it seemed like it was intentionally rotating. It seems like that has changed, though. Yeah, well, um, I think, I think it, it, there was always, you know, the intention of finding a, a core lineup. Yep. Um, Eric was moving from LA to Kansas city and then from Kansas city to, uh, Massachusetts. Um, and you know, the, the concept around, around the gig always, you know, needed some, some pretty talented guitar players to fill in and, and, you know, anybody who's doing this, you know, who's capable of doing this type of material is probably already busy doing something else pretty awesome. Um, so I think he was kind of uh, had the guitar chair by committee. Um, but I'm glad that, uh, you know, in this year, you know, starting at the beginning of this year that uh, I'm committed to doing all the all the guitar work. That's awesome. Uh, I got to see you guys once and, and it looks like you guys are having a blast. So that's a good thing. Well, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so and. Um, you know, the, the concept of a tribute band and you and I have actually had this conversation, albeit under very different uh, uh, circumstances, is not new to you. In fact, you um, you and I met because I came actually and I auditioned with you just before this whole pink talking fish thing happened for you when you were looking at reforming a tribute band you had prior to that called the freaks. That's right. That's right. I. uh and I found myself in a position with that that group where um, we had come into the end of a of a nice four year run with the 
the core four that I had in that group and uh, people's life interests and, and professional situations were uh, pulling, pulling the group apart. And I had put a lot of time and effort and love into the group and I wasn't ready to really let that go. So I was investigating what it would be like to restaff uh, the entire group, which turned out to be a little bit more daunting of a task than I had anticipated. I, I could tell when we played together that, yeah, you were like, Oh man, I forgot how much work it was to get the band to the point where we were. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yep. Well, it, um, it turned out, um, you know, that I had to make a decision and, uh, you know, with the responsibility, um, of being in a fish tribute band specifically, you know, if you know anything about the fan base is that you're under a microscope at all times and everything needs to be uh, as perfect as possible. Um, so, uh, you know, as it goes with being in any band, the, the people that you, you get to know and you bring into that type of experience, they become your family. And, uh, you know, those bonds are, are really, really, uh, close and that shows itself in the music. So, Restaffing, um, you know, that bond needs to be rebuilt. And looking at the situation that I was in um, at the time, restaffing means I needed to find players who were as good, if not better, than the guys that I already had. Um, and because I felt like there was going to be a drop off if uh, if I didn't find those people, um, so. You know, I met a lot of great players, including you, uh, and it, but it just, the, the puzzle pieces just weren't fitting together. Right. Right. So, um, in the end, uh, you know, I decided to give it a rest and, uh, you know, there's always time to, to, re to revisit things in the future and, and, uh, and, you know, maybe someday, you know, the, the original lineup will get back together. I love that. Maybe there'll be other people in the future who want to do something different and, and it'll work out then. But, uh, I decided that I was going to take a break from wearing all the hats, you know, being the guy who, uh, books, the gigs, promotes the gigs, you know, makes the flyers, learns the tunes, runs the rehearsals, drives the band to the gigs. <laughs> uh, you know, and now, now I'm, I'm really very grateful. Um, to just be a guitarist and a singer and worry about playing the tunes and playing them well. That's a, there's, there's a huge benefit to that. Paul and I have talked about it because Paul, Paul, you run a, a band that's you've run for what, 16 years now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you wear all the hats. <laughs> yeah. Too many hats. Hey, I have a couple of questions for Dave. So first of all, and the most obvious one to me, how'd you pick those three groups? To mash up. I mean, three incredibly diverse styles, you know, you know, very, very different feels, very, very different social messages to the music. Why those three? Well, um, I can't, I can't lay claim to actually, you know, choosing the bands because, um, Eric was the one who, who designed the project. Um, and, and we've, we've discussed, you know, the, the three groups, um, in how they fit into this project a little bit. So, um, I think what, what, really connects them is a, a little bit of the cult following that each group has, you know, the fish obviously has, you know, their hardcore fans that go on tour every year with them and follow them there in, you know, Pink Floyd has, has the same thing, you know, in, in a national sense, you know, or in a worldly sense, uh, people all over the world, you know, listen to Pink Floyd and you still see kids, uh, you know, in high school or even younger, you know, wearing Dark Side of the Moon T-shirts. So everybody knows what what that's all about. The Talking Heads, too, um, 
you know, being the, the band that I was least familiar with getting into this group, um, you know, to find out what kind of a, uh, an audience that they had at their peak, it's, it's really amazing. Um, and, and to see, you know, the people who know all three of these groups, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. All right. So let me throw a couple songs out and, and I'll throw out a, a good song from any of the, of the bands and you tell me how and so you, you literally, you mash them up. Your songs are, are overlays of music from all three bands. Every song you perform or do you perform any songs that are just, you know, one song from that band all the way through? Well, it's, it's a mix of both, you know? Um, and we try to be as creative with it as possible, but the, the, we do a few mashups where, you know, the, we'll take, um, you know, a couple songs and, and, and lay the, the parts of the songs over each other. Um, but more often it's about the segues where we'll, um, let's say play divided sky and get all the way through the composed part to the, um, the pretty melody in the middle where, uh, Trey does his, his little solo. And, but either before or after that, we'll break off into a Pink Floyd song. And then halfway through that Pink Floyd song, we'll be in a talking heads song. And then we'll be back out to the end of divided sky at the, at the end of it. So, all right. Um, so these, just, here's just a couple. So, um, sure. okay, go ahead. Psycho killer. Um, so what, what am I saying about psycho killer? <laughs> what do you, what do you segue it into or what do you mash it up with? Oh, okay. Um, Let's see. Uh, psycho killer. Psycho killer often fits in the middle of, of, of different songs. Like for instance, we put it in the middle of, of divided sky. Um, often it's, it's got a, you know, kind of a big open jam in the middle of it. So often there's no room, um, no room to, to break it up in the middle. Right. All right. How about, um, money. Money is money, money because of the, you know, the, um, the cash register sounds in the front. It's a great tune to, you know, build out of at the end of some big fermata, uh, the song that came before it. But one thing that we do like to do with the end of money when, uh, you know, it's kind of fading out and it's got that little bit of, of bluesiness at the end of it, um, where Ricky is imitating the, uh, the vocals deep in the background. Um, we take that, uh, outro and talking heads do this like halftime, uh, intro live for when they do, um, cross-eyed and painless. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we blend that together and then there's a couple snare hits, bop, bop. And then we're into uh, cross-eyed. Interesting. All right. One last one. And again, I'm not a big fish guy, I know Dave, you really are. So I'm going to, you know, the only fish song that I've ever put my hands on with an instrument is Julius. Is Julius in the, in the uh, arrangement? Uh, it has been, um, it's, it hasn't, um, made it into the, the, the past few shows. Um, but Julius is, and as it goes with fish Two, is kind of like a set ender or an encore tune. Got it. So, so you mentioned that you do have some songs that that you really do overlay. I didn't I don't think I got to see that at the show that I that I saw because you had a sub bass player that night who, by the way, right. if you hadn't said he was a sub, there's no way I would have known uh, even being yeah. a musician I, be familiar with the tunes. He was locked in, which was great. He was, he's great. Um, he, his name was uh, Hoadley and he um, he is our keyboard um, player, Rick James. 
Uh, he uh, is the bass player for his original group, Richard James and the Name Changers. So there was a bond. There was a bond there that we benefited from. Totally. Yeah. So but but on a normal night, you know, what's what's the what's one of the just to give us one example of, of a tune of a several tunes that you kind of lay on top of each other. Sure. Um, the one that comes to mind that we do we do most often is actually um, a mashup of Brain Damage by Pink Floyd and Maki Super Policeman um, <laughs> by Fish. Yeah. So we do the the reggae portion, the verse section of of um, Maki Supa. And then in the place of a chorus, we switch over to the brain damage portion um, and then uh, and back and forth and, and back and forth. So that that works out pretty well. That's awesome. Uh, well, more recently. Question. Yes. Go ahead and finish. Finish your thought. Oh. I'll come up with my next question. Sure. More recently, since we went to uh, to Chicago um, for the GD50 uh, shows, because we played um, three nights um, at Reggie's Rock Club out there, um, two pre-shows and one post-show we have incorporated a, a little bit of uh grateful dead material into our sets and one mashup that we're doing um that we continued to do since then because it's worked out so well is a tennessee jed uh ocelot mashup because the two grooves are so similar um we managed to find a way to weave in and out of these two songs back and forth in a really surprising and entertaining way. And hey, it's, yeah, it's, it's highly requested. So, uh, you know, it's tough to hold back because, you know, we're not supposed to be pink talking fish is dead at every show. Right. Um, but uh, we, we seem to find ways to let it sneak, sneak in there. That's I, yeah, I can see where that would work. Just make sure you don't count the seven wrong. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm curious about that. Um, it, you know, obviously, some of these tunes are pretty straightforward and, and you could learn them fairly quickly and not have to worry about them. But a lot of this material, especially the fish stuff and the, the Floyd stuff and probably even some of the talking head stuff requires a lot of discipline. And and like you said, you've got fans that come out and really pay attention. And so you want to get it right. I, I And I know I, I believe you were a Berkeley guy, but I'm curious what your what your current practice routine is. Well, yeah, I am a Berkeley guy. Um, I've, I managed to, um, develop some, some really great, um, ear training skills, um, to, to make this stuff a little bit easier, um, to process. Um, and you know, obviously they, they teach you how to, um, you know, write music efficiently and neatly. Um, so, you know, when I'm sitting down to learn a tune, um, I listen to it, uh, front to back to try to get the scope of the whole thing. Um, and I write out some notes in just the form, you know, if it goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then jam or something like that, just so I know what I'm trying to, to piece apart. Um, and then I go in um, note by note, um, you know, with my iPod or my phone or something and just transcribe um, every everything that I need um, as if I was like scanning a picture on, on uh, you know, a computer or something like that and just run you know, a magnifying glass over the whole thing. And then by the time I have it all written out, uh, you know, I've played it all because I'm sitting with my guitar there. So I've got it all in front of me. And, and by then it's, it's just rehearsing what's on the paper. Um, so, you know, I'm lucky that, uh, you know, being in the freaks and, and playing Trey's role and, and writing, um, transcribing some of that really super complicated stuff, not only just in melody, but in meter and, and chords and stuff like that. I'm really, uh, well geared to, to be able to do this stuff. Um, 
the the Pink Floyd material and Gilmore, um, it's a little bit easier to process um, because it's it's well, there's uh, you know Gilmore plays less notes, well, yeah, <laughs> longer long notes, and it's more bluesy too, right? I mean, it's predictable it in that sense. Although my guess is, after being in the Freaks and just being a Fish fan, Trey stuff probably has become predictable to you at at some level too. So in some in some ways, but. Um, and I think I was telling you this maybe when we when we met um, a few months ago that the reason why I love fish so much is because that this still stuff, even after listening to them for uh, 15, 16 years now, uh, there's still stuff that I just don't understand. Oh. And that's what makes it amazing is that it still challenges me to this day. Well, dude, uh, you know, I have been a fish fan since 93 was when I started seeing them. Uh, yeah. And have always been a fan of everything they do, but, but more so as a whole and not specifically, you know, certain parts by osmosis. There are some of Fishman's drum parts that just, you know, I kind of know, and and I've played some fish tunes, but prepping to play with you and, and specific tunes that you picked that I just didn't have in my wheelhouse. It, some of that stuff is ridiculously hard to play. And it's, I mean, it requires your brain to go in different directions and actually, it's been great because that started me down a path of learning fish tunes, not so much with the expectation of playing them all, but but just in enhancing my my drumming vocabulary and, and actually just kind of enhancing my independence. Because we talked about this, you know, Fishman's drum parts, a lot of them are actually very repetitive, but they're these extremely difficult independence exercises that he just repeats throughout an entire song. Uh, you know it. Flawlessly. You know it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing with. Uh with me, you know, playing, playing the guitar. There are some times when, you know, you, like you're, the instinct in a jam band is to be like uh, ultra connected, you know, um, when in listening huge open ears, when you're, when you're jamming with, with, uh, you know, improvising, so to speak with, uh, with the guys in the group. But there are songs like foam, for instance, where you just need to block everything out, play your part, you know, in time and, then you come out of the tunnel at the end of it and you hope that everyone is still in the same spot. You trust. That's right. Yeah. yeah you just have yeah. to trust it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, it's, that's, um, and, that's not all that different from this theater gig I'm doing right now where we can't hear the actors on stage. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. There was a moment last night where I saw them doing a, um, uh, 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 like a handshake or something and realized they had skipped eight measures of a tune. And so it was like, Oh, all right, we're done playing now. You know, that's, that's the, wow. <laughs> oh <But> I, man, <laughs> that's got to make you sweat. A Just start bit. sweating immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, the good part is there's five people in the pit. So I turned to the trumpet player who literally is sitting right behind me. It's, you know, it's pretty crammed in there. And I yeah. looked at him, I'm like, did we screw that up? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, those people yeah. on stage have to do this from memory. In the pit, at least ostensibly, we're doing it from the book, although at this point, most of us have have memorized the show. But still, you know, if they're going to screw something up, we got their back. It's fine. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Hey, Dave, a question about uh, doing a tribute act for a jam band. So you had made the comment at the top that uh, you're under a a very unique microscope because the fans are so passionate, know the music so well. But the question is, are you doing uh, covers directly from studio recordings or are there, you know, renowned bootlegs of fish that are kind of like the gold standard for how the songs have been interpreted? And are you working off of those? Man, that's a great question. Um, and, and we've batted this idea around a lot um, at rehearsal. Um, the, the studio recordings provide um, 
a, a really great framework for what we're trying to do. And especially if there's a part in a live recording that we can't hear very well, we'll go back to the studio just to see what's there because everything is so nicely laid out. And I, you know, I still do things, um, in, in my versions of, you know, we'll just take fish for, for the example, um, in, in certain versions, um, from live, um, tracks that I will just do every time because I really love them that way. Like a live one, anything off a live one to me, I want to do it that way because I just feel like those are the gold standards for those songs. That's a great album. Yeah, it really is. That's that. It's actually the album that that turned me on to fish. No uh, kidding. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Lisa and I were at uh, the show where that Wilson was recorded, actually. So. Oh, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> That's so amazing. Um, but we at rehearsal. So um, we, we talk about different different versions of different songs. And, uh, you know, I I'm I'm down with playing, you know, the kind of getting the, the one version down that sounds the best because that's, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is basically how I'm approaching it. But, you know, Eric made a good point. He's like, listen, there are these people out there that have their other gold standards in mind. And if we can connect with them by doing that special thing that they liked from that one particular, uh, you know, version of tweezer or something like that, um, then we should try to do that too. So we're, we're trying to do a little bit of both. But the, the jam sections of those tunes, you leave, open to your own interpretation on any given night. Correct. Correct. Yep. It's uh, we, we really just become ourselves at that point. And I mean, having, you know, studied Trey and, and it's been my responsibility to improvise like Trey, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that in me. Um, but there, there are, you know, dozens of other uh, great guitarists that um, I've, either listened to and absorbed or, you know, taken lessons from directly that, that have influenced my playing. So, um, as much as, uh, I'm trying to, uh, bring Trey's flavor to the table, I'm a melting pot of every, every guitarist I've ever listened to. So that actually brings up a really interesting question. So you have three pretty diverse bands with three pretty diverse guitar styles. What does your rig look like to cop the tones? I mean, Gilmore is definitive, right? That's, you know, you hear one held note, on a Pink Floyd album, nobody sounds like Gilmore. Nobody sounds like Trey. So what does your rig look like in order to cop all these tones? Um, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, um, it's, it's unique to me. Uh, you know, I'm not really trying to, um, copy any of those guys. Um, I've been playing Les Pauls forever. Um, it's just who I am. Um, I was before Trey, it was um, Jimmy Page was my hero. And then before Jimmy Page, it was Slash. And both of those guys are, you know, big Les Paul standard guys. Um, so uh, in 1999, I bought my first uh, Les Paul classic. Um, and it's uh, it's been with me. I still have it. I've had it for uh, 16 years. Um, and it's just become part of my personality because I feel like there are a lot of strat guys out there. There are a lot of PRS guys out there. Um, and not a lot of people are doing Les Pauls, uh, in the jam scene. Um, the Alma brothers too, like, you know, the Dickie and, and, uh, Warren and all those guys, you know, they're all doing Gibson uh, guitars. So other of my heroes. Um, and then, uh, and then I moved into, you know, some, some different sounds. Uh, you know, I, I, I was, 
I had a, a Marshall combo for a while, but then I found Mesa amplification. And, um, so now I'm running, um, one or two different Mesas depending on, uh, what I have available. I've got a, a little rocket 44 112 combo that I've had for just as long as, as my Les Paul. And then just, uh, just this year I, I got a 212 um, transatlantic 30 combo, which, um, it sounds amazing. Um, reverbs and the EQs are really nice. Um, and, uh, and now just recently, uh, as of last June, Gibson started making a hollow body Les Paul. It's called a, a Memphis Les Paul, um, that, uh, I just picked up one of, and it gives me that percussive, um, attack and the sustain that, uh, I don't need so much overdrive on to just let notes ring. Uh, and the funny story about that, and I'm sure other people have had this experience is that, you know, I walked into guitar center cause I needed a $30 strap and then I put it down on the counter, look up on the wall. And then I walk out with a $3,000 guitar, you know, been there, uh, man. Yep. Welcome yep. to the so, club. Yep. <laughs> that was pretty exciting. Um, but, uh, <laughs> exciting in many ways, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Exciting is a kind yeah. word. Yeah. So I know you don't have a lot of time cause you're actually on your way to a gig, but I have one question for you and then maybe one last quick one, uh, just to kind of keep people thinking, but my, you are exceptionally vocal as part of your social presence. You're always kind of all over the place. And at least on Facebook, I see you, you know, you, you're, you're, you, you come across very much as a approachable guy and, and, a, and, and you are, I mean, I've met you in person. That's true, but, but you, you, your social presence is uh, very well honed. Is that intentional or is that just who you are? And it just sort of happens that way. Well, um, you know, when I was, when I was wearing the promoter hat for the freaks, it was my job to get out there and shamelessly self-promote. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and at that period of time, because that's who I was and, and where my, you know, my life force was driving, that's what a, a majority of my, um, you know, posts and, and social uh, media was about. Um, and I still do that stuff for, for pink talking fish, but right. to, to, to not be, uh, the driving force behind, um, you know, the media is been really relaxing and I'm getting to just do, you know, the things that I put out there are things that they're just different parts of my life that now, um, have, you know, room, uh, on my table, so to speak. Um, so I'm not really thinking too much about it. I'm just, uh, you know, getting out there and, and expressing myself and, and trying to make friends. That's yeah. Cool. That's cool. Paul, do you have a, a last question for Dave? No, man, this has been really fascinating. It seems like you are just on it and you're looking to do something great and you're making a lot of people happy with music. So very cool of you to share your experiences with us. Um, maybe we should do this again in a little while. I got to check out all your music. I got to get a little more fish savvy in order to ask better questions. But this has been awesome, Dave. Thanks so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Sorry, I got to go, but let's do this again soon. Absolutely. For sure. Thanks for joining us, Dave. All right, you guys. Hey, take care. Wh- one thing before you go. You, yes, sir. You got to do me this favor because otherwise tomorrow you're going to hate me. Delete, delete Skype from your iPhone. Thank you for putting that on there and making this, this call work for us today. But that thing will eat your battery to the bone and you don't, oh, I don't no. want that. So yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Thanks Dave. Have a good one. All right, fellas. Take care. Bye. Well, that was a blast. I'm glad Dave was, uh, was able to make time to join us. That, that was like you said, very enlightening. Yeah. Cool guy. Very cool guy. So uh, we didn't do this at the beginning because Dave had a, a time crunch, but we like to talk about the gigs that we played since the last 
uh, time we recorded. Of course, we're recording this on Friday instead of Monday because I'm heading uh, to Philadelphia to see fish next week. And so uh, we're, we're we haven't we haven't had a weekend in between doing shows, but I've certainly played some gigs. Have you? Yeah, I did. I actually had a great gig on Wednesday over uh, at the ocean over at Capitola, California with Black Sunday Roadshow, a band I don't talk a lot about on this on this podcast, but it, that's my 15 piece Americana band. I've never seen that band. I know. I think I know just one of the guys in it, Chris Breen, right? A, uh, a member yeah. of the, the Macworld All-Star Band with us among. Yeah, I have a couple things. of my house rocker buddies that are in that uh-huh. band as well. OK. And uh, it plays plays a lot of stuff off the Springsteen Seeger Sessions tour, plays some um, old Crow Medicine show, a little Bob Dylan, some, you know, old blue, like 1930s blues and country, you know, pure country and folk. It's really fun. So the, the band lineup is two acoustic guitars, fiddle, banjo, pedal, steel, keys, and a lot of times the keyboard player is playing a um, accordion patch, four horns, stand-up bass, drummer, and three gospel singers. Who does the sound for that, and why do they continue to do it? <laughs> uh, so Bill, you know, my, my yeah. lifelong friend and, and uh, the sound guy for the House Rockers, and, and uh, this particular gig, sound was provided. And you're right, you know, when you send someone a, a stage <laughs> plot, here we come, right? You get like, what? But yeah. uh, this guy, you know, is, is, is a seasoned sound guy and he was ready for us. And, you know, he was kind of excited for the challenge and, and, uh, he did a great job. I mean, we played, there are probably three or 4,000 people at this show and, oh, nice. and, uh, you know, beautiful outdoor setting. And, and, um, uh, what I wanted to share was this is a band because of its size and by design, it's not like a, a constantly working band like the house rockers are. This is a, a band that's like a passion project for me. And, uh, it gigs about I think my commitment to the band is it'll gig six times a year. And I think we've done five. We, we did one early in the winter and then we've done June, July and August. And we have one now booked that we got actually at that last gig for September. And, um, it's a, it, they're great, great players in this band. Uh, everybody's having a really good time. It's a nice additional project for just about everybody that's in the group. So everybody's kind of in the, in that same headspace about what they're going to get out of it. We really have a fun time playing together. It's an interesting, uh, leader role, uh, maybe because of the, the scarcity of time we have together. This band is extremely easy for me. They're like, dude, you're the leader. Whatever you say, we'll do, which is kind of a cool thing. And, uh, we get a lot of stuff done. We don't roll over material terribly much. I mean, the material we've had, we, you know, a couple songs a year we'll add. Um, we just added, added a Dan Hicks song that, uh, I don't know if you know Dan Hicks and his hot licks, but that's a, a very niche type of um, uh, hippie folk type of thing from the 70s. Um, and, but anyway, the point of this all was for a band that plays so seldomly, it always is pretty good. We had a great gig this weekend. I mean, going over to the beach, the Santa Cruz area, people love music over there. They, it's just very passionate music audience. They'll dance to just about anything. They'll find the groove and just really have a nice time. So, you know, like I said, we're playing, we're playing old folk stuff. We're playing, you know, some really strange grooves, uh, particular grooves, but people just close their eyes and just let the music wash over them. It's so rewarding to play over there. And then the band really fed off the audience and it was like a hoot nanny. It was like, you know, a bunch of guys just setting up their instruments and letting it rip. And it was really, really cool. That's awesome, man. That's killer. That's what it, that's what, that's why we do what we do. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was the spontane, spontaneity of the, 
of the vibe that was just so great about this yeah. one. I mean, it's, and there's no show to this, you know, I have a set list, but you know, there's a lot of spontaneity and, and, um, you know, I call out the solos on the fly and the band just goes, the players are just so good. It's really a joy. And it's interesting. I sweat over this band less, but in some ways, you know, because of the number of people, yeah. it requires, you know, it requires a different type of musicality. Um, and yeah, this was just a great one. I'm very, very proud of it. It was, it's fun to see the passion project, which, you know, I have expectations for it, but they're not the same type of expectations. Like I got to book it X amount of times a year, or I got to get a certain amount of money for it. Right. It's not driven by some of the same factors that, that drive a working band. It is truly a, a project of love. Uh, and uh, it, it gave it all back to me this week. It was really, really fun gig to play. That's awesome, man. That's, um, that's, that's, yeah, that's kind of why I, I do the fling thing, right? I mean, it's, that's how we treat fling, I should say, is, is, as, you know, it's fun. And, and we do this for that. Yeah. So, what'd I, you do this week? I have, um, I've played two gigs and I'm playing one to one, my last one actually of this particular run of uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which was the, the play that I mentioned that I'm doing here. Uh, I, I subbed out and I think I talked about this on Monday show. I subbed out about half of it. Actually, I wound up subbing out one show more than half. Uh, and so I played Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon. He played last night and then I play Friday night and then that I'm done. And he takes Saturday through next weekend and, uh, and finishes it. And it was interesting. I think I mentioned we had a sub music director for the first weekend. So Wednesday night was with our regular music director back, and, uh, and actually Wednesday night show went, went really well, uh, Thursday afternoon. I think I mentioned while we were talking to Dave that there were, there was actually two, two, and I call them train wrecks. I mean, they weren't, everybody's a pro and it, it all just flowed very smoothly, but we knew they were train wrecks, <laughs> you know, and a lot of actors kind of, you know, covering each other's lines and, and such, even when the band wasn't playing. So yesterday, yesterday afternoon was, um, it was interesting. But um, but that, you know, I, I've said it before, those moments where, you know, suddenly you're snapped out of your comfort zone because something different is happening and different can be sure. intentionally good or different can be like yesterday. Like, hey, why are they doing that thing that they do after we finish the song? You know, <laughs> it's like, OK, yep. Pay attention. Stop. You know, well, you know, the funny thing about that is here's what happens in my mind from the leader standpoint. Yeah. When something different happens, all of a sudden I'm thinking, all right, whatever made him make that choice to make something different happen. What else different is going to happen that I need to be prepared for? And how is everybody else on stage thinking through this problem? The same. Yeah. Right. So is everybody going to start guessing how to get us out of something? Is everybody going to, you know, uh, you know, try and try and one step up what the next change is going to be. Correct. And that's actually when it comes out good, it's really fun, but sometimes people guess wrong. Yeah. And I think the, the, the message of this is follow the leader. It, well, and whoever the leader is, I mean, in the, in the theater pit, there is a defined leader, the, the music director. And of course it was only his third show ever doing the show. Um, <laughs> and so we are actually, we as the pit and even the, the cast, of course, are more experienced at the show than he is to a degree. He was with the cast for, you know, a month before we showed up. So, uh, you know, there, there's, there's, but there's a, a disconnect in the experience level at that point. But I don't even think he had to cue us to cut. It was everybody kind of realized, okay, whoa, something's different. Just, you know what? We can just kind of 
roll the chord and roll, you know, maybe, maybe roll on a cymbal a little bit and just let the song fade out and everything's yeah. good. You know, they, they, and fling. Go ahead. If does everybody have the right to stop a song if it's totally train wrecked? So I've, I've had guys, you know, just, and surprising to me what goes through someone's mind, but, you know, not wait for me sometimes to, you know, to say, all right, let, let's just stop. Right. I've had, I've had people just stop the song or like just stop playing and say, let's start again right on stage in fling. Does everybody have the right to do that? Well, I, you know, we've never talked about it, but, uh, I think it, it there are two of us that have stopped songs or, or prevented songs from being stopped. And that's me and Russ. And I can think of an instance where Russ stopped a song and was like, no. And I can think of another instance where our, we were playing the song in the wrong key. I think I, I mentioned it, you know, a couple of weeks ago on the show and our bass player wanted to stop. And he looked at me and he's like, well, we got to stop. And I looked at him and I said, no, 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 no. I know where, I know where we can fix this. And he was like, okay. And he stayed with it. So I think in, in fling, it sort of works out this way automatically. And, and I think in most bands, you sort of have to sort this out either, you know, by experience or by, by, you know, an edict that the people with the strong personalities, it doesn't matter who's right. What matters is we all do the same thing. So follow the person that takes the reins first. And that's, Mm. that's the most important rule. I think, you know, when everybody knows you're in a bad situation, who's the one that says, here's where we go next and says it musically usually. And, and the, and the important thing is to just follow that person. And, and we had, we had several, you may not have even realized this, but we had a a favorite instance that actually Chris and I like to talk about in the, in the Macworld all-star band where one song I started it in the, I started it with a drum fill and played the groove wrong based on where the drum fill comes in. And it's probably something I still do to this day on that, on that particular song. And the bass player started playing as though the drum fill were like it was on the record, which is fine. That's what he should have done. And we got, you know, halfway into the first verse and he's still look and the rest of the band is with me. And he's still looking at me like, no, we got to change. You know, we're a beat off. And it's like, no, we're not. Um, you, you gotta, I, I know you're right. You know, the, the, the defense stipulates, however, you gotta come over here, you know, and that's the yeah. important place to be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 We're wrong and we're all going to be wrong together. So yeah, I think, I think the, either this, like I said, the strong personality wins out or just the person. And, and usually these are one and the same, but the person that just takes the reins first and says, here's where we go. And you just got to follow that person. But I think I hate to close, but we have to close. Um, so I have something funny that just came across my desktop. Uh, you know, we had the, the GOP debate last night and I just saw probably my favorite tweet in a long time. And this tweet says, Chris Christie and Rand Paul hate each other so much. They could both sing lead in Oasis. <laughs> that is a perfect place to close this show. Hey, wish me, wish me luck on my gig tomorrow night. I have absolutely no voice and uh, it's an acoustic gig and I have to sing the whole thing. So, Wow. Take care of yourself. I'll, I'll last share, minute miracles will happen. I'll share my, my, my last minute miracle plan on the next show. And I'll tell you how it, uh, how well it worked. So I will look forward to it. Thanks folks. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Send us your stuff. Find us on Facebook at giggabpodcast. We would love to hear from you.